Thank you. Good morning. Everybody hear me? All right. Doing good on that front. Again, uh, my name is Brad Grzenko. There's my beautiful wife, Michaela, my son, Paul, and there's Pastor Paul. I can see two Pauls in one glance, so we're good on that front. If you'd be so kind, could you open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Um, But before we get started, let's pray. Dear Lord, um, just hearing that song, I'm reminded of the future hope we have um, where there is no more pain and suffering um, and that we'll be able to walk with your son in eternity. I pray that you wouldn't help us, um, that you would help us not to forget, though, um, that we can start walking with you today. Um, I pray for every person and heart in here that doesn't know you, Lord. Um, that they might just begin to walk with you today in faith. And Lord, for all of us here that have been walking for a short time or a longer time, um, your word says it's still just a mist this lifetime. It's just a short, short period. But um, we are blessed, some of us, to have been walking with you for a short while. And I pray that you would just encourage us with your word today, that we would build up our hearts in our minds, and that would um, just be worked out in our hands and our feet, um, that we would go throughout the whole world proclaiming the good news. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So Mark chapter 6. How many of you in here would be bold enough to raise your hand and say, I've read part of the Bible before? All right, everybody. Everybody, please put your hands up. (laughs) All right. All right, good. Most of you didn't have a turkey sandwich this morning and are still awake. That's good. So you've tried reading the Bible before. I heard an Old Testament scholar. He was talking about the Old Testament particularly, and he was saying, most of us have tried reading the Bible before. Uh, If you grew up in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably at some point picked up a Bible, maybe even a hotel room, and started to read. Was it easy? He suggests that sometimes reading your Bible is like going to Thanksgiving with your crazy uncle. (laughs) You see your crazy uncle just on certain holidays of the year because you have to. (laughs) You kind of feel obligated. But whenever you're around him, you feel kind of uncomfortable because he's a little strange. And that sounds humorous, and I hope you don't misunderstand me. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but the Bible at times can be a little bit difficult for our finite minds. January 1st is coming up in just a short little while. How many of you plan on making New Year's resolutions? A few of you probably. Most of us, at one point or another, have probably tried starting a Bible reading plan on January 1st. And you get to January 2nd, so we're on day two, and you're in the genealogies. And Seth begat this person, and Adam begat him, and he lived this many years, and then he died. And then um, Johnny begat Sally, and Sally died. You get the idea. 
So what am I supposed to do with all these genealogies? Why, why are these in the Bible? And if you were bold enough to read on, you probably came across some other things. You get to the book of Leviticus, and you're like, I have a friend named Levi. Okay, I'm tracking with you. And then you get into the book, and you're like, rules, 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 and some more rules. What am I supposed to do with all these? And if you read on farther, you probably at some point came across Arnold Schwarzenegger with long hair. You probably came across a giant that got killed by a pebble, and Moby Dick is in there somewhere. David and Goliath, Samson, and Jonah. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with all of this? And then you think, I know. I'll turn to the New Testament. Because the Old Testament, that's a little harder because it's the Old Testament. But the New Testament, I'll understand the New Testament. And you open up to the first page. I kid you not, the first page of the New Testament. Another genealogy. Matthew 1. So you turn to the next book. And you say, okay, Mark. Mark is the book. I'm going to understand Mark. Before you know it, you have demon-possessed pigs and Herod's cutting off John the Baptist's head. That's right before chapter 6. Right here in chapter 6, actually, before the passage we're going to look at today. And so we can start to feel that the Bible is difficult, hard to understand, and disconnected. We can have this view of the Bible. And I'm not saying it's the right one. I'm just saying some of us, maybe all of us at one time or another, are going to come to the Bible, and our relationship to the Bible is like with our strange uncle. We don't know what to do with it. But I want you to know that this is God's word for you. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now that's great. In other words, God has given us His Word, your Bibles, so that you can know Him, you can know Him through your Son, whom He sent to die for you. This is the message of the Bible. It's a message about Jesus, forgiveness of sins. But you still say to me, well, I'm still having a hard time understanding this. Well, I think I have a good example that might help us to kind of correct, just try to make a small correction to how we view the Bible. So most of you probably had Thanksgiving dinner this past week. And most of you probably had turkey and stuffing and potatoes and gravy. And I want to suggest to you that sometimes we're prone to look at the Bible in a fragmented, in a disconnected, in a confusing way because we're not looking at it in context. Take gravy, for example. Gravy is a wonderful thing. Poured over the potatoes, the stuffing, the turkey, it's wonderful. Now, how many of you, the day after Thanksgiving, when the gravy has been sitting in the fridge, congealing, hardening, and you have this solid block of gravy, how many of you would take your spoon, scoop it out the day after Thanksgiving, and say, mmm, good gravy? <laughs> that would be absolutely absurd. And in the same way, we can't approach the Bible. We can't approach the Bible in this open it up, read one part, 
and then shut it again. God has given us Genesis through Revelation. He's given us the Old and the New Testament. So if we read this in a way to where we're not connecting the dots, it's just not going to make as much sense as it would if you read through the whole Bible. So on one hand, I want to suggest to you, read the whole Bible, and I think you'll be surprised how much more it makes sense when you make it to the end. Or maybe even a shorter section, the book of Mark. How many of you watched a movie this past week? A couple of you? A movie today is about an hour and a half. It takes about an hour and a half to read the book of Mark as well. And you're like, okay, well, just read the Bible and that will fix everything? Well, God also gave us, Christ gave us, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. And so we have our helper, we have a guide. Go to him in prayer. Read the Bible. What you're doing right now is wonderful. Be around other believers in the Word. And I think you'll find over time, God will begin to work in your life. He's going to start working in your life through His Word. And so today, I want to look at a passage that you could have that same thought. Why is this here? What am I supposed to do with this? The feeding of the 5,000. Maybe the feeding of the 5,000 feels like cold, solid gravy to you. What am I supposed to do with this? Well, let's read. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, and when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered them and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves, and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all, and they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. This is God's word. Let's pray.
God, again, I implore you just to work in our lives. Um, through your word, I pray that you'd give me clarity of speech and thought, and that you might just be glorified through our study of this passage. In your son's name, amen. So here in Mark chapter 6, we have the only miracle account that is in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The feeding of the 5,000. And throughout the book of Mark, Mark continues to use this word that could be translated immediately, or maybe straightway, or forthwith. And he's telling this account of Jesus' life in a very rapid way. He says it in a shorter way. Mark has this pattern of saying more with less. He says more with less. And so what you'll see, again, going back to our Thanksgiving illustration, if you read Mark in isolation, you're going to misunderstand Mark because he's talking about all of Scripture throughout the book. He's making references. I don't even have time today to look at one of them when Jesus is thinking, and Mark says, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, he's referring back to Exodus, and he's reminding the reader of Exodus. And when Moses says to God, when he's a, coming close to death, he says to God, the people are like, a sheep, are like sheep without a shepherd. They need one. And God gives them Joshua. And I can't even get into that today because we're going to try to get through this passage, passage as quickly as possible. But I want you to understand, Mark, it's not this... You can't just read it with blinders on because he's thinking about the rest of Scripture. He's pulling in other passages and ideas. He's showing you that this was God's plan all along to send his son to die for us. So what's happening here? Verse 30, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So the disciples returned from preaching the gospel and doing miracles. See verses 7 through 13, when Jesus sends the disciples. They recount what they had done and taught. Jesus invites them to rest a while in a desert place. So they get away by boat, and believe it or not, when they're supposed to be resting, the people run after them again and get there before Jesus and the disciples. And what does Jesus do? Does he say, get out of here? No. It says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what does he do? He teaches them. And we don't know exactly what. Maybe some of the things he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount about the kingdom, repent and believe. It doesn't say exactly. But we know time passes by and it's getting late, likely evening, and they need food to eat. So what do the disciples say? The disciples say, Get out of here. Send them away, Jesus. We can't feed them. There's too many. And what does Jesus say? He says, give ye them to eat. Or maybe you could understand that as, you give them something to eat. You disciples, you give them something to eat. The disciples are dumbfounded. The late R.T. France wrote on this particular verse, quote, the response is unexpected and unwelcome. To have the responsibility of feeding the crowd put upon themselves serves only to reveal their inability 
to cope with the situation. He's talking about the disciples. In any case, the disciples cannot see why they should accept this responsibility. How are they going to feed 5,000 men? And their question is surely ironical. Even if they had the money, notice later when they said, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread? So even if they had that much money, which was about 200 days labor, so a man could get one penny worth or one denarii per day. So this is almost a year's salary. Even if they had the money, where were they going to buy the bread? They could approximately buy 2,400 loaves with that amount of bread during that time period. They didn't have bread factories. They weren't just going to walk up to the local baker. Can we have bread for five, maybe more than 5,000 people? So what are they going to do? How are they going to feed this crowd? They don't think it's possible. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? What does Jesus say? What do you have? How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And they find a, a measly five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus has them sit down, then he looks to heaven, says a blessing, most likely in the original language. This is most likely a blessing to God, not blessing the bread. Um, he breaks the loaves, he distributes it to the disciples, they give it to all the people, all the people ate and were full or satisfied, and there was leftovers, and Mark says it was about 5,000 men. And some would say there was also women and children here, maybe up to 12,000. Others say, no, it was just a just men that day, but the, you're missing the point if you focus on that too much. The question is, how has Jesus fed thousands of people, which the town they're near didn't even have thousands of people? So this is people from all over the place. How did Jesus feed thousands of people miraculously? And it also begs another question. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And if you're not amazed yet, let's read the story again, only a little bit different. Turn to chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Starting in verse 1. Mark chapter 8, verse 1. In those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, same problem, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, Chapter 8, verse 2. I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. So the people need food again. Again, we just saw this story, and now it's happening again. They have nothing to eat. Verse 3. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from afar. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? Have we seen this before? And they said, Seven. Verse six. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did not set them before the people. And they did set them before the people. 
And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. All right. So we understand what's going on here. Jesus miraculously, in the span of two chapters, feeds at least... 9,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fishes. So that's what we have here. But I want to ask you, does this feel a little bit like cold gravy? Why is Mark giving us two accounts that look like the same story? Why... Do we just read the feeding of the 5,000, and then we turn the page, and now it's the feeding of the 4,000? Seems a little strange. And then you start thinking in your head a little bit more, and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? What does this have to do with my life? I mean, that's nice, Jesus, that you fed all those people, but what does that have to do with me? So to kind of warm up that gravy and to put it on the Thanksgiving meal, that we might just have a feast, today I want to talk about four themes and four questions, four themes and four questions that kind of delve into and kind of search, why did Mark put these passages here? Why has God, in his word, again, his word to us, why has he given us these two passages? And I want to propose four themes and four questions you might ask um, that might help us to understand it a little bit better. Theme number one, I entitled Ethnic Bread. Theme number one, Ethnic Bread. Oh, awesome. PowerPoint's working this week. Not, those guys are great. I didn't make one last week. I'm not. <laughs> ethnic Bread. Question number one, why are there two feedings? So why does Jesus feed the 5,000 and then turn right back around and feed the 4,000? Mark, aren't you being a little bit extra? Why do we need two stories about the same thing? Why? Why are there two feedings? And I would suggest to you, there are two feeding accounts because Jesus is the Savior of all peoples. And you ask, okay, that, I'm still not tracking with you. What does that have to do with two feeding accounts? Well, what we'll see, there are six reasons why I think this means that Jesus is the Savior of all peoples because Mark intentionally uses different locations, different words for baskets. We see a Gentile theme throughout the Bible, throughout the book of Mark, how he lays out the events, and even the different accounts. He changes the stories just a little bit. And what we see is Mark has placed these stories side by side one feeding primarily to Jews, one feeding primarily to Gentiles to help us see that the gospel is going to be for all people, for you and me. Salvation is for all peoples. So point number one. So Jesus is the Savior of all peoples. Mark is giving us two feeding accounts to teach us that the good news is for all people. Different locations. In the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6, we're not certain of the exact location, but it's in Jewish territory and most likely to a Jewish audience. 
The second feeding account in Mark 8, if you look at verse 31 of chapter 7, we see they're around the Decapolis, which is around the Gentiles. Moreover, when we read the word basket that they collected the extra bread in, in the first account, it's the word kafanos, which was a type of basket that most scholars agree was a basket used by Jews primarily. And I couldn't believe this when I first came upon it. I was like, really? Different word for basket. That's interesting. And then in the second account, in Mark 8, when we see they collect the extra bread in baskets again, it's sturis, a more generic term for basket. And so what we see Mark is doing, he's making a distinction. He really is giving us two distinct accounts, feeding of the 5,000 and then the feeding of the 4,000. And he's making this distinction between Jew and Gentile. Moreover, we should be expecting this. Why should we be expecting this? In the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 12, verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, God speaking to Abraham, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And in you, Abraham, shall all families of the earth be blessed. It's in the very beginning. The beginning of the story of the Bible. Again, the Bible, you have to take it all at once. Because at the very beginning, God is making clear what he's doing. Genesis 3, the fall happens. Where all this sin and pain and suffering and all these difficulties in our lives come from, the origin, Genesis 3, verse 15. He says that he'll send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. To crush the head of the serpent. At the very beginning, there's a promise of hope. A promise that there's going to be a savior. One that comes to fix everything. Who is this person? Isaiah 49.6. And he said, this is speaking of the servant in Isaiah 49, which we know is going to be referring to, um, to Christ and the church later on. Paul and Barnabas quote this in Acts 13 when they're in Antioch, Isaiah 49, 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee the light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. And you're like, okay, that's the Old Testament. New Testament, Galatians 3, 7 through 9. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, or Gentile, that's us guys, through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. And just like we were singing about in the service today, Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, and kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Throughout the Bible we have this theme, that God is working through the Israelites, but that he is going to graft in the Gentiles. So salvation is going to be for all 
people. And we see this in the book of Mark as well. Mark isn't isolated from this theme. He actually has this theme all through it. In Mark 13.10, Jesus says, And the gospel must first be published or proclaimed among all nations. Or take Mark 14. Jesus is anointed with ointment. Verse 8 of chapter 14. She hath done what she could. She is come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. So he's speaking of the woman that has just come and anointed his head. Verse 9, Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached, everywhere that it will be preached, this gospel, throughout the whole world, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. So he's saying what she has done, and this is proof. I just told you the story. This is proof. Her story has gone out throughout all nations across the world. Okay. So Mark gives us two feeding accounts. Feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. Because he's trying to show you the gospel is for you too. So Mark is writing Sometime in the first hundred years, maybe around AD 60, we don't know exactly. But the point is, he's writing to the early Christians, and he's trying to encourage them. And what he's doing, this is something the early church had to deal with a lot, is the gospel, this salvation from the Lord, is not just for the Jew, but is also for the Gentile. But again, what do you do with that? Salvation is for all people? Well, I would suggest what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That could be also translated, make disciples of all nations. We need to be people that go everywhere with the good news that Jesus died for our sins. Negatively, I could say, don't be partial, like James 2 says. Show no partiality. Don't discriminate. Don't hate. Don't be a racist. Don't hate people. Jesus is bringing everyone in, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. All will praise the Lord in the end. But positively, what would this look like? I call it overseas missions and over-the-fence missions. We need to be sending money and people across the world with the good news of Christ. But moreover, you need to be sending the good news over your backyard fence. Do your neighbors know about the love of Christ? Do they know about the love of Christ? Do your coworkers know about the good news of Christ? Do they know that there's a solution, that there's hope in Jesus? Do they know? God has placed you where you are today so they can know. Proclaim the good news. Rejoice. Be happy. The gospel is not just for the Jew. It is for all people now. Oversee missions and over-the-fence missions. Theme number one, ethnic bread. Why two feedings? Because Jesus is showing us the gospel is for all people. Now, theme number two. 
Theme number two, extra bread. Extra bread. Question two, why are there leftovers? So if you look at chapter six again, um, verse 43, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. So there were leftovers. One, why are there leftovers? Jesus, you couldn't make the miracle so precise that it was the right amount of food for the right amount of people. And two, why does Mark include this? Why does Mark give us that little detail? Oh, there was leftovers. He doesn't just do it in chapter 6. He does it in chapter 8. If you look at verse, I believe, 8. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat. That was left seven baskets. So there's leftovers. Why are there leftovers? I would suggest to you that Mark is emphasizing the leftovers to demonstrate who Jesus is. Namely, the Son of God and the Messiah. Jesus is truly God, truly man. He's the one that can save both the Jews and the Gentiles. I don't know about you, but on Thanksgiving Day, if we only have five measly loaves of bread, we're not going to feed 5,000 people. We're not. And now, with Jesus' miracles, there's leftovers. There's leftovers. And Mark has been arguing this throughout the book. It's not just here in the leftovers. It's throughout the book. Jesus' baptism. God the Father says, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus heals the paralytic. Chapter 2, verse 5. Son, thy sons be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins? Who can forgive sins? This is the scribe speaking but God only. Well, guys, you're almost there. You almost got it. Yes, only God can forgive sins, and that is who Jesus was and is. Jesus calms the storm. The disciples say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Come on, guys. Yeah, what manner of man is this? He's not just a man. He is truly man and truly God. Mark chapter 8, Peter proclaims this. Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it this one time. Thou art the Christ. Next chapter. Mark chapter 9. The transfiguration. God the Father again says, This is my beloved Son. Mark chapter 16. The angel at the tomb. Jesus has died and he's gone. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? You seek him? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Jesus came to this earth, a baby. And we get to celebrate that soon. But he didn't, he wasn't just born. He lived the perfect life and died the death that none of us could do for our sins. And he rose again from the dead. So what do we do with this application? Worship and praise God our Father because in Jesus we have all we need. Are you satisfied in Jesus? When you wake up in the morning, do you think, I need more of my cell phone or I need more Jesus? When you go home from church, do you think, I need more NFL football or I need more Jesus? When you go shopping on Black Friday, do you think, 
I need more Jesus, or I need more clothes. We are going to be tempted in this life to think that all these things are going to solve our problems. They're going to make us happy. They're going to fulfill us. But only Jesus can take away your sin. Only Jesus. Not your clothes, not your cell phone, not NFL football. They might dole the pain. But in the end, again, I was talking about this last week, if we try to put the weight of life and meaning and purpose on our shoulders or anything else, it will crush it. But in Christ, he will hold you up. Put your faith in Jesus. So theme number one, ethnic bread. Theme number two, forgotten bread. And now theme number three. Sorry, theme number two, extra bread. Theme number three, forgotten bread. Forgotten bread? What bread was forgotten? Question three. Why are the disciples so forgetful? Why are the disciples so forgetful? And you ask, well, what are you talking about? Look at chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. Chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. Verse 4. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? The disciples, according to Mark, have just seen the feeding of the 5,000. They've just seen the feeding of the 5,000. Now we're at the feeding of the 4,000. They're asking again. They're asking again. They're asking again. How are we going to feed all these people? How are we going to feed all these people? How are the disciples so forgetful? And why does Mark write that? These are the leaders of the church when he's writing this book. Why would he write such bad things about the leaders of the church? Many have pointed out that one, one argument for the validity of Scripture is we don't hide anything. Mark lays it out for you. The disciples were forgetful and faceless. So the feeding account, they're forgetful. The second reason is the boat accounts. You'll notice Mark uses patterns throughout his book, and he uses one here. You'll remember in Mark chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. Everybody remember that story? Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and the disciples are going, we're going to die! Jesus, wake up! Save us! And Jesus says, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples didn't get who Jesus was. They were forgetful and faithless. Then, you're like, they're going to get it now because he feeds 5,000 people. Mark chapter 6. He feeds the 5,000. You turn to verse 45, and Jesus is walking on the water. And this is what Mark says, verse 48 of chapter 6. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. 
For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. For their heart was hardened. The forgotten bread. The disciples forgot the bread. But now you're like, okay, they're going to get it now. They forgot it once, but now they're going to get it. No. Chapter 8. What does what Jesus do? Again, he feeds the 4,000 this time. He feeds the 4,000. And the disciples are back on the boat. And I think the English Standard Version gets this perfectly in chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. The disciples are back on the boat again. So they're in the boat. They don't have faith. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Then they're back on the boat. They don't have faith. Then he feeds the 4,000. And now you're saying, I'm seeing a pattern. But they're going to get it this time. Verses 14 through 21. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. So the disciples are on the boat and they don't have bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. The disciples are discussing that they have no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened, having eyes? Do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Now he reminds them of the forgotten bread. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? So we see this pattern. They're on the boat. They don't believe. Jesus feeds the five thousand. They're on the boat. They don't believe. Jesus feeds the four thousand. They're on the boat, and they still don't get it. They don't understand who Jesus is. And you have to ask yourself, going back to the question, why are the disciples so forgetful, forgotten bread? Why are they so forgetful? They were looking for a physical kingdom, a military takeover, Jesus the new ruler. But instead of a conquering Messiah, Jesus will be arrested, beaten, and slain. Philippians 2, he humbled himself. I heard a pastor from New York say it like this, normal revolutionaries, normal revolutionaries, George Washington, our beginning of our country, normal revolutionaries deal out death, but Jesus deals out life. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. I'm going to try to close quickly with theme four. Communion bread. Communion bread. Now, if you look at the end of chapter six with the feeding of the 5,000, you'll notice something that Jesus did. He breaks the bread in verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves. And I believe Mark here is foreshadowing. He's foreshadowing something that's to come. In Mark 14, 22, says the same thing. And as they did eat, Jesus took the bread. This is at the Last Supper, while we celebrate communion, and blessed, 
and break it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now John makes the connection of what Jesus teaches here. And Jesus says, There, I am the bread of life. So, what do we do with this? Ethnic bread, extra bread, forgotten bread, and communion bread. I would suggest that what the disciples teach us and why there's two feedings and why does Jesus break the bread and bless the Father. This is all pointing us to Christ. We're going to be tempted to look to the disciples or to ourselves and to think we can find salvation in ourselves. Look at what the disciples did. They kept missing it. Believe in Jesus because he is the only one. Mark is hammering this in. He is the only one that is sufficient. Believe in him. He died for you.